Hello, hello. hello. Welcome on, everyone. It's bright and early. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time we're recording very early. It's 8 a.m. for Emiliano. It's 9 a.m. for me. Uh, so we're a little miserable. I'm also a little sick. Um, so this episode might be rough, but we and are our here. Guest is sick. And our guest is sick. Um, me. So our guest is going to be Teresa Bukovinak. Um, she, she's been on the podcast before, formerly affiliated with Pro-Life San Francisco and Democrats for Life of America. Uh, she now has started a brand new organization, POW, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, which we will talk about uh, more in the show when she's on. Um, but for now, I can gossip. And it's that I saw her like two weeks ago and we both got sick and now we are still still slowly recovering. Um but not and a so, COVID thing because of you. Yeah, not COVID. Definitely not COVID. Any illness, any cough that you have. It, we yeah, have no, no COVID. I've been COVID. tested multiple times now, and I believe she has too. And so did the person who we have accused of getting us sick. Um, no COVID. All vaxxed. We're safe. Um, but we are we are a little sick. Um, so excuse any coughing that you hear that Maria isn't able to edit out of this. But yeah, so we're going to talk to Teresa. This is the October episode. So happy Halloween, because it looks like this one's not going to get released until like basically the end of the month. So happy Halloween. Are you dressing up, Emiliano? Um, I think I might be really, really lazy. And I have uh, this unicorn onesie that okay. my friends got rid of that I rehomed. Um <laughs> You've adopted. And I, I might just wear that. I feel lazy and I feel like I always like need to put in some, a little bit of effort. Like a couple of years ago, I was still lazy, but I like rolled up a, a piece of construction paper and stuck it on my head and uh, was a, a blue crayon. But um, I don't know. It'll be fine. I feel like lots of people, I don't know if you've felt this are not really in the Halloween spirit this year. I've asked a bunch of people like, oh, what are you, what are you going to be for Halloween? There is like, eh, I don't know. We'll find something. I'll think of something today. Yeah. I think we're still in the phase where it's like, I don't know if I really want to go to Halloween parties or like go out to bars because, you know, even though we're vaccinated, COVID is still real and scary. Um, so like I'm doing a low-key Halloween, but I am, of course, dressing up because I'm, like, an, a Halloween adult who is a nerd. I mean, my uh, mom's birthday is on Halloween, so, like, uh, like many times as a child, we will be celebrating her birthday. That's, that's fun. I'm excited about it. Um, you are Mexican, right? Do you do anything for Day of the Dead? Do you have... Um, like I'm Mexican, but like I don't have really too much of a Mexican community here, and my mom's not Mexican, so uh, and like the rest of my family here isn't Mexican, so I have my little altar that I put up, and we've got marigolds growing um, that I will cut and put on the altar, but that's just like my own private devotion. Really, yeah. don't don't do much publicly. My mom, my mom has like like white lady white lady adopted uh a lot of uh like cutesy mexican cultural things so she's got like calaveras and stuff but um yeah uh nothing nothing too big and i'm gonna well i'll be moving to mexico uh 
So you better exactly. you better start. Yes, but I'm preparing. gonna move here just after the Los Muertos, so I'm a little bit bummed about that because there's yeah, that, that's... <laughs> hometown and everything like that. Um, uh, but yeah, I wanted to stay for my mom's birthday. Nice. Well, yeah, I guess that's enough Halloween talk. Uh, we can have Teresa on now to talk about important things. Not it's not enough Halloween talk. What are you gonna be? Oh, sorry. I, well, so. Um, if anyone knows me in real life, they know that like my only personality trait other than uh, consistent life ethics stuff is that I'm obsessed with Pokemon Go. Um, and so I am doing a Pokemon costume this year. I'm going to be the James of a Jesse and James duo with my girlfriend. Um, so classic. We also are planning to go to um, an anime convention coming up soon. And we also are making another costume at the same time um, that I don't think we're going to get to wear for Halloween, but I'm going to be Professor Willow. Wait, is that his name? Oh my gosh, did I just mm-hmm. mess it up? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Professor Willow, yeah, because the, the one from Pokemon Go, not the regular one, which right. is Oak. I always mix them up because they're basically the same guy. Um, but I'm going to be Willow and she's going to be Nurse Joy. It's very so, weird for me as like, a cradle to grave Pokemon fan to like, it's, it's like an interesting um, like sub community of the, the Pokemon fandom. Those who kind of picked it up really in earnest after the development of Pokemon go. Yeah. I'm definitely like a late comer. I'm, I'm a bandwagoner when it comes to. Oh, no, no, no. Like, uh, all are welcome. And I'm not, I didn't really, yeah, I never really had Pokemon games until high school. I got like, I think I got black from black and white on the DS. Um, but that was the first Pokemon game I ever had. And I wasn't really ever into it until basically the pandemic started and I was staring at Twitter all day Mm. And that was bad for me. And so I was just looking for other stuff to do on my phone. And I ended up on Pokemon. And now I am very good. So if any listeners of the Rehumanized podcast need friends on Pokemon Go, you can email me and I will give you my friend code. Um, I'm not going to say it on the air because I already do have, I'm getting up to the limit. Um, but I will add you if you Do if they you restrict need your number of friends on Pokemon Go? Yeah, they do. Oh wow! See, um, I didn't have I good enough data. Uh, I didn't have a good enough data plan when Pokemon Go first came out, and then when it was big again uh, during the pandemic, um, then I had already just kind of missed the bandwagon, and I was like, uh, "It's going to be it's too much effort." I I am at my core just a lazy person and did not want to uh, put all the effort in to get the stats. Yeah, get it. Honestly, it's like, and I learn things about it like every day. I'm like not a video game person at all. I never really have been, um, and so I like don't understand a lot of how Pokemon Go works. And for the first couple months, I was really into it. I was just like, I'm collecting all the Pokemon. I want to get Pikachu's, and then I became friends, or I, I learned that other people, especially a lot of people in the pro life movement, actually, um, like a lot of the leaders, play Pokemon Go. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to out anyone as a Pokemon Go nerd, but there are several and I'll out Catherine because she's the biggest and most open about it. But Catherine Glenn Foster with AUL, uh, Americans United for Life, has taught me a lot about Pokemon Go and how to how to climb the ranks in the Battle League. Um, so isn't again, if you morbid? need Pokemon Go, we're out here. Isn't it kind of morbid? Like, don't don't you basically just like grind, grind your Pokemon into candy? They like it. 
<laughs> I, it's consensual. Yeah, consensual. I'm, I'm a vegan. I'm against animal fighting in real life. If Pokemon were real, I'd probably be like a Pokemon liberationist. But for now, I am. You'd be team plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for now, I'm just a complete monster and just battling all my Pokemon and not respecting their agency. Uh, but I'm not going to feel bad about that because I got to get those candies. Well, on that note, <laughs> here is uh, Teresa Bukovinak. All right. Welcome, everyone. We now are joined by Teresa Bakovanak, the founder of the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Herb. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, Teresa, have you met Emiliano? You guys know each other, right? Have we just met online? I think like we many... Have- <laughs> Like many of these relationships that I've been building, it's basically been uh, online with me just being a nerd about like the cool stuff that you guys do. Yeah, I think uh, Kristen Day and I had a call with you uh, during the 2020 election cycle uh, when you were running for office. Yeah. And then uh, just Democrats for Life stuff. Okay. Yes. So Teresa and Emiliano kind of know each other. I am glad that we are reconnecting now to talk about Teresa's brand new project. As you mentioned, you previously worked with Democrats for Life of America. You were president there. Uh, You also previously were the founder of Pro-Life San Francisco, um, and you used to be the executive director now or then. But now you have founded PAL, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. Can you tell me a little bit about this new project? Yes. Um, Well, I am giving voice to people like myself who are progressive um, and who are also anti-abortion. I think they're especially working with Democrats for Life. There's often kind of the impression that if you're a pro-life Democrat, that you're somehow kind of more moderate or, um, you know, more more conservative type of Democrat. Um, But I think it's really critical um, for ending abortion for the Democratic Party and the American community at large to see and recognize visible progressive people who are standing up against the abortion industrial complex. I really appreciate that because as uh, uh, someone definitely when I ran on the left wing of the Democratic Party, I did get that sense. Like I have great appreciation for Democrats for life, but I did often feel uh, like I was on uh, kind of on uh, on one far end of the the spectrum uh, there. So I I definitely appreciate this initiative, and I've been been watching it. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about why you chose? the name that you chose, because I think that was a pretty bold move to say anti-abortion, because that is, you know, famously uh, when we're accused by pro-choice people, you know, they say they're not pro-life, they're anti-abortion. So how did you decide to take that, um, that kind of label that was kind of an external label and take that as the the name for your progressive organization. 
it was a tough call. Uh, I have long, long supported um, the movement continuing to use the phrase pro-life. I think it's really important that we we claim that label and that we're not bullied out of using it. Um, but I wanted a really cool acronym and um, progressive pro-life uprising just didn't have that. And I kept coming back to POW because I thought that sounds really cool. And the more I spoke with people on both sides of the issue, the more I realized that the phrase pro-life has lost some of its meaning on the left, uh, where so many pro-choice people also consider themselves to be pro-life in a sense that they're pro-life of the woman. Um, and very, uh, very often, or not often at all anymore, do we see mainstream media actually using the phrase pro-life to describe um, what they now consider anti-abortion activists or advocates. Um, and I thought it just is going to make more sense to people on the left um, if I say anti-abortion and I get that cool acronym. So that's how that happened. Yeah. I think that I, obviously we all embrace the, the term pro-life. We identify as pro-life. But I think for me, as someone who even obviously embraces the consistent life ethic, I, you know, I'm pro-life in the other sense that leftists and liberals might want me to be if they're talking about, you know, immigration or police brutality or whatever. Um, you know, I, I sometimes like fit the mold that they want a conservative to, to have in order to rightfully call themselves pro-life. You know, you'll hear the, well, you're not pro-life if you support the death penalty or um, if you don't embrace the Black Lives Matter movement or any other sort of, um, anything that they'll claim a, a conservative pro-lifer can't, can't do so they can't call themselves pro-life. And I find for me, you know, I, I embrace the consistent life ethic because it's like correct. I think that, you know, it's wrong to kill human beings and so I'm against it. Um, and people often, I think, think that the reason that I, pro-life people often think that the reason that I talk about the consistent life ethic is to sort of get a one up on those liberals and progressives who say things like, well, you can't be pro-life unless you oppose the death penalty or, you know, whatever, whatever other cause that they support at the time. Um, and ultimately that's not, that's, it doesn't work. Like it, it, in my experience, I've talked to people and I've said, you know, yeah, I I actually do agree with everything you've said. I agree with what you've what you've said on you know LGBT rights, on what have you, all of the issues you care about. Um, and it, I very rarely get to the point where they're like, okay, well, you can call yourself pro life. Then they sort of shift the goalposts to the point where you're, we're saying, well, you can't call yourself pro life unless you embrace abortion on demand without apology. Um, and it's sort of like, okay, well, then I'm not pro life. If that's if that's your definition of it, then I don't care. But I can reasonably say I'm anti abortion, and we can agree on that, and we can actually talk about the reality and the horror of what abortion is without getting dragged down by the the labels that I don't think anyone actually like is using in good faith for the most part. I think this is a interesting. Absolutely. Uh, I think it in, just makes uh, it very clear. Oh, go ahead. Oh, that's all I was saying. And it was like, because of the delay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I do think this is an interesting time in the abortion debate because 
we're seeing the euphemisms kind of fall away. Um, not only is the the pro-life side being defined more as the anti-abortion side, and I, I think this is an uh, a, a interesting development um, that now we have like a progressive organization that's saying like, yes, we like anti-abortion, like that, that is, you know, a, a respectable position and a, a, an accurate term. Um, and then we have on the other side, uh, pro-choice people actively saying like, no, we're not pro-choice. We're pro-abortion. Abortion is good. I was just reading yesterday an article in Jezebel that was like, Abortion isn't just sad; it's funny and uh, uh, good, and we should uh, laugh about it. Um, and kind of like noting the the rise of the abortion comedy genre um, in film. And so, I I do think that we are starting to strip away the the euphemisms that had really defined uh the the discussion of abortion for the past like 50 years or so um and like both in terms of shining it in a positive light and in i mean what i would say the reality of it uh we are now finally being able to just discuss like abortion and what it is so uh, props to you on being foresighted in in the name of your organization. Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about what the goals of POW are. Um, you know, I think we we talk about a lot that there are a lot of pro-life organizations. Um, there's a lot of different ways to be pro-life. There's a lot of different uh, ways to affect the culture and affect the laws. Um and I think that every organization that exists sort of has its own niche. What do you think the niche of POW is? What makes it different from, you know, a group like Rehumanize International or Democrats for Life of America or Students for Life or any of the other pro-life groups that are out there today? Why did we need something new? Well, when I am looking at the landscape of the situation in America as it relates to abortion, I recognize that the primary problem is within the Democratic Party, that the Republican Party has, for the most part, successfully pushed out um, any pro-choice uh, legislators or candidates from the party. And um, and so the, the problem is concentrated in the Democratic Party. And when I look at who is able to influence the Democratic Party, it's very clearly progressive organizations forcing the party to be more progressive. And, um, you know, one thing that really makes us stand out from other more left-leaning um, pro-life groups is that we are single issue, that we aren't, um, you know, there are groups within the Democratic Party that are addressing the uh the issue of the death penalty or, um, you know, other life issues, but there aren't any single issue anti-abortion organizations working within the greater democratic party to force change. And, 
you know, the goal with POW is to force that change through visibility. Um, I know that I personally harbored pro-life opinions for years before I was able to come um, forward and publicly, you know, say I'm anti-abortion. And the only reason that I was able to make that step was because I discovered secular pro-life and I realized, okay, there are other non-religious pro-lifers out there. People are emboldened and empowered when they see other people like them doing it. Um, And so if we, if the greater community doesn't see progressive people who are anti-abortion, then the other side is winning with their narrative by saying that, oh, all Democrats are pro-choice, which we know from Gallup polling is not even close to the case. Um, so this, to me, is a it's a, an attempt to build people power, um, to bring people out of the shadows who are on the left, um, who are harboring pro-life views and just feel like they're the only ones. And once I am able to bring them out of the shadows, we can take that people power and actually apply that to forcing the DNC to be more progressive on abortion. Yeah. I I, I like the way you phrase that, force the DNC to be more progressive on abortion, because I sometimes feel like when I talk to, you know, pro-abortion people um, about the idea of a pro-life progressive or liberal or leftist, uh, the way they sort of want to frame it is that, okay, well, so you support LGBT people and, you know, climate justice, whatever. Um, And so you're progressive except on abortion. Uh, And that's sort of the narrative that they want to use. You're progressive on issues other than abortion. But you say that, no, the pro-life position is actually the progressive one. Can you can you talk a little bit about why you think that and why you think their narrative is wrong? Well, I think one of the, um, the core issues of progressivism is recognizing the problems of unrestricted capitalism and the problems mm-hmm. that come from exploitation um, by corporations um, and political parties. And when we look at abortion, it is clearly exploitation because it is the literal lethal discrimination against an entire group of human beings. I, I cannot, um, I, I do not see how abortion is compatible with progressive values in any way, shape or form. Um, it is, it goes against the the core values of equality, nonviolence, and non-discrimination, like we're always saying. And um, it just doesn't make sense that we could be fighting for the people by killing, you know, 2,623 of us every single day in America. I think it's so important to frame it in the way that you did uh, in terms of human rights, which lots of lots of uh more progressive uh pro-life groups do but uh it's and start reclaiming the people who are uh, progressives and anti-abortion um as like that it's not that you're progressive except for abortion it's that this this is the progressive view on abortion that uh people shouldn't be just 
excluded from humanity because of their what what's the sled acronym the size uh, location the e is what always messes me up environment environment is that a, i don't know i don't usually use sled but i but yes all those things <laughs> Uh, like I remember I was arguing on, uh, Twitter, like a couple weeks ago with somebody who was like, Fannie Lou Hamer wasn't anti-abortion. She was just anti-forced abortion or something like that. And so I, I like there's, I think a movement, uh, to kind of, even when people have very explicitly been against abortion um, and people who like progressives like um, or pro-choice progressives like uh, there's kind of a rationalization away from the idea that being anti-abortion is a human rights standpoint Um some someday, someday, we're gonna discuss all of the the pro life socialists and such too. Um, and speaking of uh, uh, Twitter, how uh, was your launch, Teresa? How uh, how were you received on the social media? Because I was. I was out there being a Twitter warrior, you guys. <laughs> um, uh, and there was, I, well, I'll let you describe it. But uh, how how did the 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 Twitterverse receive uh, your announcement? Um, well, we have a half a million views on our launch video, uh, which is definitely the best case scenario, um, but a little unexpected. Um, and definitely, you know, the internet bullies have made themselves known. Um, but it is really interesting, like the way you described to how people uh, attempt to n- maybe paint Fannie Lou Hamer as like not actually anti-abortion um, because it does cause such uh, cognitive dissonance for people and it's so uncomfortable for them and you'll see that playing out on Twitter as it relates to POW um, because everyone is just like oh this must be a psyop this is astroturf oh the GOP is funding you oh they're not actually progressive like every excuse you can think of other than just actually dealing with the core issue that we are trying to educate on um, there's just such an attempt to dismiss it and um yeah i mean it's it's been pretty overwhelming like oh and then of course you know they'll make fun of the way we look as a last resort um but it's uh it's interesting because it it's rattled me a little bit more than i expected it's definitely been harder to deal with than i was expecting but at the same time it is exciting to see that you know that this is causing so much um upset and yet there really aren't any real arguments against where we're coming from. It's just like, they must be fake. And that is pretty empowering and it emboldens me and makes me feel even more sure um, that we're on the right path. There have been so many people that have reached out um, saying, you know, thank you so much. I have 
I am progressive. I've never seen a group like this before, you know, and they are literally coming out of the shadows like I described earlier. And um, and we have almost 2000 followers on Instagram after just three weeks. Like, I mean, it's not 10 million, but it's definitely something. And we have struck a chord and um, and we're definitely here to stay. And I'm really excited to see how this reaction from the left um changes as we become more active and as we begin to um, really make an impact in the Democratic Party. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I that PAL launch video, I thought it was great. I was in it. Um, I'll, I'll do anything to help Teresa. Um, so I, I was in the video and I remember, I'm not someone who likes to read comments. Um, I, so if you're ever like harassing me online, I'm probably not actually looking at it. So you're wasting your time. Um, but the pal one, I didn't even have to go looking. It was like organically on all of my feeds of regular, like lefty progressive, um, you know, LGBT people who I follow and, you know, I like, and I was seeing the pal video over and over and over again of people sharing it, sort of saying like, this can't be real. Why would, what are they talking about? Um, and so it definitely struck a chord in the culture. Um, and I, I think when I was seeing it, I was sort of like, oh my gosh, I wish we had like better video quality or something. I wish, um, I, I wish we were more prepared for that. Uh, not that the video wasn't great, but I was not prepared for the backlash. I think being in these circles, I often find a lot of backlash in pro-life circles, you know, like where we go around and we talk about, you know, whatever our, our issues are. Um, and for Teresa, that's the, the progressive thing. Um, and we often get yelled at by pro-life people <laughs> who are mad at us. Um, and it's it's harder to get the attention of pro-choice people because they so actively don't want to engage this issue. Um, and so I think POW has this unique opportunity where there even still are a lot of eyes on it, just waiting, probably waiting for you to mess up or do something that looks too conservative so that they can cancel you or whatever. Um, but ultimately, a lot of people are watching um, and a lot of people, I I hope, are primed to actually listen and hear the arguments. Um, because when you know, when you're tweeting about, when your public events are about, you know, things that really matter, when it's about, you know, hearing the stories of people who have felt pressured into abortion because of economic coercion under capitalism, or what, whether it's, you know, their boss or their academic institution, um, you know, these stories exist and they're incredibly common. And ultimately, like, the working class knows, like they experience it. We are living it and we're living under the pressures of the abortion industrial complex every single day. And so I'm hoping that, you know, as much as the sort of, you know, white liberals on Twitter are screaming about how offensive it is that, you know, all of these progressives are also anti-abortion along with their other progressive views. Um, they're going to have to start recognizing the reality that this isn't, you know, an astroturfed organization. It's not funded by Republicans. Honestly, I prehumanized gets accused of that too. Sometimes um, like we've gotten accused of both being like funded by the Koch brothers and funded by George Soros by like whoever is mad at us that day. And I'm always just like, I wish like, please, we need funding. Um, the reality is that like organizations like Powell and rehumanize and these small pro-life groups are not, you know, 
we're not we're not living large. We are doing this because we're passionate about it. Not you know, we're not in it for ourselves. If we were in it for ourselves, we would go into a more lucrative career. Like I would be in law or business or something that wasn't so horrible and I didn't have to get yelled at every day on Twitter for. I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, especially your point about how you know, we're so used to getting yelled at by the pro-life movement. And one of the criticisms of the video was just that, oh, they're just using every liberal slogan. This sounds so fake. And it's like one of the reasons that I chose to use so many liberal slogans is because I was anticipating the the pro-life movement coming after us. And I really wanted to make it clear to them what our positions were on, you know, other issues to really kind of break the mold and the stereotype of what it means to be a pro-lifer. And with, you know, more right-leaning pro-lifers, you have to be, you have to use slogans and be clear about um, where you're coming from. So it's kind of funny that ultimately it was the left that picked this up that um, are, is giving it so much attention and um, and criticism. And so I, I just wasn't anticipating that, but I'm really glad that it's happening. I think like really the 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 thing that most encapsulated the ridiculousness of the kind of uh the liberal uh, abortion industry alliance and how just like that it, it's so just uh, like philosophically bankrupt and and contradictory when um, Occupy Democrats like supposedly like uh, uh, a left leaning group born out of the Occupy movement. I mean, they've been just kind of like boomers who support whatever the Democratic Party does for a while now. But like, like Occupy Democrats was uh, like putting a statement of support uh, for uh, companies uh who were condemning the Texas law. And it, it was like, cool. We have a, a, a supposedly left-wing organization uh, speaking in support of corporations being mad that poor children aren't going to be killed anymore. Yeah, I, I think they specifically phrased it even as like retweet if you support these businesses, and the businesses are like Nestle, <laughs> like it's, yeah, like it's, literal it's, murderous corporations yeah. that don't care about women and much less their children, and very much like, like ExxonMobil. Thank you for standing up for our right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you, like ExxonMobil. Uh, <laughs> And like uh, this is this is an article that I've been meaning to write for it's a while really about how yeah just like the like abortion is a, a brilliant way of uh, privatize it's the most neoliberal way of privatizing the the culling of the uh, herd of the the excess reserve of uh, labor that they don't want getting too big and rowdy and I mean it happened. In the 1970s, right when the U.S. was deindustrializing and needed less laborers, and like, like 
uh, economists like the the authors of Freakonomics like explicitly say, oh, yeah, um, what, whatever you feel about abortion, it was a good thing because all the uh, poor babies that didn't get born in the 70s and 80s, like uh, like that helped curb the crime wave that uh, had uh, peaked during that time. And that that's how we got lower crime rates in the 90s and 2000s. So like they very explicitly say like this is uh, basically just outsourced, like, but we're going to use the misery of people to decide when to kill their children or not. Basically, every corporation in America relies on the abortion industrial complex to save them millions of dollars in family paid family leave. Uh, it's very clearly something that is benefiting these corporations and the rich. And like we see uh, that the vast majority of low income people and people making less than $40,000 a year consistently are um, much more likely to be anti-abortion than the wealthy by like huge margins. Um, so this, this uh, false representation that so many pro-choice liberals have put forth um, is so detrimental. Yeah. I mean, I think that the fact that there are so many liberals who say things like, oh, well, I would never get an abortion, but I think it should be a right. Um, or, you know, I am personally pro-life. It's like that is typically liberals who are saying that. Um, and I think that it, to me, that personally pro-life, well, I would never get an abortion, but it should be a choice available. Um, it just reveals that they know it's, you know, that whole like, I wouldn't want my children to die, but that needs to be available for poor people, essentially. Um, and I think it's just like, that is what I hear every time I hear that. It's because ultimately, you know, if, if abortion wasn't killing someone, if it wasn't killing a child, why would you never have one? You know, it would be the same as using a condom or, um, any other form of birth control that doesn't kill a human being in the way that abortion does. Um, and so I think I think that's why the pro-abortion movement has become the pro-abortion movement, why they've moved away from the safe, legal and rare, because they know they know that the entire culture has sort of always been anti-abortion, but we're willing to look the other way when it is the undesirables having those abortions, which is the case when we're talking about um you know, the, the working class, the poor, and overwhelmingly people of color. But it's still privileged people who would say, well, I wouldn't want to have an abortion. I really do think that it it is just a, a liberal and middle class fantasy at the end of the day, because when we look at uh, polls on, on opinions on abortion, it's it's working class women that are the most pro-life out of any group. It's not rich old white men, it's working class women. And even uh when working and poor women who form the the majority or plurality of uh women who seek abortion, like uh in this case, lots of the times the first of all, they they don't justify it as, oh, well, this is just removing a, a clump of cells or like a, a non-human thing. Like lots of times the 
the justifications are, well, my baby is in heaven now. Like the religion is used to not to justify it, but to make it tolerable for someone going through a horrible, horrible circumstance who knows fully well what they're doing and uh, just feels that they have no other option. So I feel just like the, the entirety of the, the presumed conversation around abortion is just so ridiculous. And I, I really think that um, you're, you're really onto something, Teresa, with uh, how, um, and uh, you know, basically calling, calling their bluff and saying, yeah, we're, we're anti-abortion. You can say you're pro-abortion and that's also truer. Um, so this, I, I really think that this uh, might be a turning point in the discussions around abortion where we can have a lot more of an honest discussion. Hi, sorry, this is editor Maria here. Um, I am sorry to say that after this point in the interview, there were some technical difficulties um, and I was not able to recover Teresa's audio for the rest of this. Um, so I'm going to just cut to uh, Herb and Emiliano's post-show conversation now. Um, but I really want to thank Teresa Kovanak for joining us on the podcast this episode. Uh, and I want to make sure you guys know to follow Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, Uprising um, that's P-A-A-U, on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all of it. Uh, their website is paaunow.org, pownow.org. Um, so you can make sure to learn all about their upcoming events. Um, and speaking of which, one more quick shout out that Rehumanize International, we're going to have a rally on December 1st uh, when the Supreme Court is hearing the arguments for the Dobbs versus Jackson case. That's the Mississippi abortion case. Um, yeah, so keep an eye out for information about that. I believe we'll be meeting in front of the court at 8 a.m. Um, make sure you check out Pow Now's website uh, for all of their upcoming events. Thank you again, Teresa, for joining us. And I will cut now to Herbert Emiliano. All right. Good episode. Always so nice to have Teresa on. I know. Teresa, like, is the reigning champion of rehumanized podcast guests. She, it's because she is, gets involved in so many different organizations. And so every time there's a new one, I'm there's, like, you should come we can re interview her. She just has a lot going on all the time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the next big thing is going to be the the Dobbs case, right? Yeah, that's the next huge thing. We're rehumanized is going to be at that. We're also going to be at the uh, Texas one that is like probably tomorrow by the time Maria gets this episode out. Um, it's on November 1st. So yeah, we, uh, we're going to be there and at the Dobbs case. The Dobbs one is the big one. Um, please come. I, I think it's important. I've been at the last couple, um, you know, consistent life ethic related uh, Supreme Court cases, um, usually abortion and the death penalty um, are ones that we go out for. There hasn't hasn't been a euthanasia one um, 
in recent history. Uh, but if there is one, we'll, we'll be at the court. Um, but yeah, so Dobbs sort of is the one that everyone is really looking forward to because in the past, um, you know, I've been to the, the pro-life rallies outside of them. Um, it, it's cases that relate to regulation of abortion clinics or um, sort of like procedural issues about who can bring a case to the Supreme Court although that case is about abortion. So it's like, well, we should be there to represent the pro-life cause. Uh, But Dobbs is the exciting one because it could actually overturn Roe v. Wade and the attorney general arguing it is actually asking for that for the first time, Um, you know, since Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which was, you know, the last time people thought that Roe could get overturned and then it unfortunately was not. Um, So yeah, it's a big deal. I am going to be there... um, yeah, Teresa mentioned sort of like the importance of coming out to those events. And I really want to echo that because I think that especially for, you know, the type of people who tend to run in the rehumanize um, orbit, um, which is pretty similar to the PAL orbit and the DFLA orbit um, and the Students for Life orbit, um, it's pretty important, I think, to have us out there um, because it really does make a difference to the media. Um, I think that that we know like the liberal media, the mainstream media, um, paint the pro-life movement in a particular way intentionally. Um, they're intentionally creating the narrative that we are old conservative white men who hate women and want to take away their rights. Um, and I think that when we demonstrate that that's not who we are, or at least not all of us are old conservative white men. Um, it makes them it makes them have to show it if you know overwhelmingly there's a bunch of cute liberal women and non-binary people and men out there who are representing the pro-life movement. Um, they have to show it, and then that creates a different narrative um, that is, I think, really important to busting some of the other narratives about what it means to be anti-abortion. And so I'm going to be there. It's going to be fun. We're getting signs printed for Dobbs v. Jackson. Um, So please, please come because we're going to have like 50 signs and I would not prefer to hold them all myself. So if you're in the the East Coast, D.C. area, uh, consider coming out to the Supreme Court. There's going to be a huge rally. I believe we will be represented in that rally, although I can't make announcements yet. I guess that is an announcement. Um, But what what you need to know is that we will be there and we will be participating on the pro-life side um, because at these things, you know, in the past ones, even when it was sort of um, only tangentially related to abortion because it was, you know, a a regulation issue or a procedural issue, the pro-abortion and pro-choice side is out there and they are rallying and they, um, they're creating their narrative. Um, and if the only people that they have to look over at for the pro-life side are, you know, a bunch of old white guys, they're going to think that's all we are. Um, and so I encourage you, even if you are an old white guy, because, you know, I want, (laughs) I want everyone to be represented there, um, to come out for these, these events, because I do think that it really matters um, to show that this isn't just, you know, the opinion of, you know, a couple Supreme Court justices that might go our way or um, sort of old people who vote in elections for Republicans. Um, There is a mass movement of people who oppose the killing of unborn children unjustly.
And uh, for uh, those of us who won't be able to make it, um, Rehumanize is uh, doing a push for op-eds um, and letters to the editor. And I think this is a really crucial moment. Um, I mean, all of our board members are doing it, but I I think we should invite sympathizers in, uh, you know, in the public too. To uh, uh, if if you want to send us a an op ed uh, <laughs> to check out or whatever, or just send it into your local paper, um, do that because I think it's really really important that our voices um be louder around um this conversation and also uh keep an eye on on the like the legal uh justifications being used and being argued now because they like since since roe v wade like the the question has never been officially like oh is it is abortion going to be legal or not it's uh, oh, is this a privacy issue or like, uh, are we going to make this legal because of privacy? Are we going to make this legal because of 14th Amendment? And if, if I think really the most insidious one is, oh, uh, women need abortion to be equal. And I think that really is the most blatant uh, reference to what we were talking about earlier is that uh, we are only going we're going to offload the costs of bearing children and privatize it completely onto individuals. Um, and so we as a society will take no responsibility for your children and their well-being. Um, and so it's, it's all on you. Um, and I think for me, that's really the most insidious argument is that, equality for women uh is based on uh accessibility to abortion i think that's that's the claim that's a claim that has already been being pushed uh now in in this case um oh and i it's just like the the link between the the capitalist economy and like the commanding heights of, uh, of, uh, industry and everything, I think was just really clearly shown in both the 2016 and 2020 democratic primaries where we had a very, the, the most pro-abortion candidate ever in Bernie Sanders, you know, a guy who I have a lot of mixed feelings about. Um, loved his economic program and everything like that. And like, God forgive me, I campaigned for him and everything like that. Um, uh, but even then, like the, the motivations of the uh, corporate supported abortion industry was very notable when, when you had something threatening the profits of capital in Bernie Sanders, like pretty mild social democratic um, uh, reform programs, like they still supported they, the the abortion organization supported first Hillary Clinton and then Joe Biden, both of whom have not had from a pro choice side great track records on abortion. Um, they they chose to side with capital 
and the profits of capital over even one of their own who was more pro-abortion than any other presidential candidate. Yeah, I mean, Bernie got in trouble in the 2016 election for saying something like he, he referred to Planned Parenthood. Um, the establishment. He called them the establishment. Yeah, establishment. Which was correct. And everyone was completely like, no, correct. Uh, but I mean, it is it is just completely accurate. I mean, it's why Planned Parenthood doesn't support Medicare for all. Um, it, they know that. And some versions of Medicare for all have like specifically like. Universal, like free on-demand abortion, like depending on the version of the bill that was up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think so. She is pro-abortion, but um, we're pro-choice. I don't know how she identifies, but she's not a pro-life advocate. Liz Franzak once said um, in relation to abortion that in the United States, because healthcare is not considered a right um, that any of us have, um, the abortion is could not ever be considered a right under the current landscape. Like Roe v. Wade does not make abortion as a right to women or to people who can get pregnant. Rather, what abortion ultimately is, is we have the right to purchase an abortion in the marketplace. Yeah. And that is what the Democrats have been defending for so long. Um, and like, that's not even that great. Like that's, that's so weak. Um, and so I think like that framing of it has always really stuck with me with like, yeah, abortion is like under whether or not it should be isn't really relevant to this, but it it's not in any way a right because that's not even what the Democrats are defending. Like no. they're defending giant corporations and the abortion industrial complex. Um, and I think that that's phrasing that I've used for a couple of years and it's what Teresa has been using with Powell and I've seen her and I've gotten some pushback too, but I've seen Powell get a lot of pushback for framing it in that way, the abortion industrial complex. But I think it's so accurate. Um, I think if you look at, you know, the, the national abortion federation, um, if you go to their conferences, um, I have, a friend, David Delayden, who has been to the National Abortion Federation conferences, he you know snuck in obviously um, in the course of his undercover work. But you know he he was telling me about when you look at these conferences, it's sort of it, it, to me it sounded like like a weapons show. Um, you know they have the different dealers there, they have different people showing their wares, and literally there will be tables upon tables of different companies showing off the types of forceps that they sell to abortion providers um, and the different, you know, the different companies that are involved in the, the process of the human organ trafficking for research purposes. Um, and, you know, it's these, it, there's a full industry around the, the promotion of abortion um, in the same way that there is for any other sort of um, industry. And so I think for a lot of people, when we say, you know, the abortion industry or the industrial complex, um, they make it sound like we're talking about this big conspiracy. But ultimately, yeah, any any business like abortion is, is going to have an industry around it and people who are profiting every step of the way. And so that, that's why, that's part of why there's so much pushback from the so-called establishment because they're part of that industry and they profit from that industry and their campaigns are donate get donated to by that industry. And then all of well, the industries lie on that industry to keep going. Well, and I uh, see that term in even a broader sense in that like abortion is a massive subsidy. Um, like Teresa said, a massive subsidy to every corporation and business in this country um, who, 
uh, does not have to pay out uh, now uh, uh, employee sick time or paid leave uh, for, you know, the few workers who actually do get it. Like it's abortion is a massive boon to the capitalist class in this country and not having to deal with the the poor baby criminals that, you know, God forbid would come from uh, poor people having kids. Um, yeah. So uh, support Teresa's organization. Um, uh, be there in D.C. And if you can't write op-eds because we need to uh, take this conversation and make it ours. And I really I really think um, I appreciate a lot the way that uh, Teresa has uh, and the pow has chosen to frame this and really kind of, uh, like I said, I think this is the beginning of, uh, an abortion debate that is going to actually be talking about abortion and not just kind of mystifying it with, uh, talk about privacy and, uh, like things like that. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess that's all. Have a happy Halloween, everyone. If you celebrate, I guess you might not celebrate Halloween. Have a happy, have a happy end of October, everyone. Bye.